1: The devil comes to visit you and he says, hey, you're going to have one good tournament. I'm going to give you one, right? That's it. You're going to – what would it be?
2: Ooh. I don't know why it's the jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, it, it is the opposite to the golfing gods because the golfing gods are never really on our side, are they? But I um, two, I look, I think four. One,
3: two, three, four. <laughs> a beautiful day on the Victor Bravo golf course the sun is shining the birds are about and there's a sudden pause in the crowd Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box 15th hole his drive is recommended <laughs> Is he a caveman? Because he's suddenly clubbed that one what do you reckon George? <laughs> I mean did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read <laughs>
1: Well, g'day, and this is golf. Andrew Datto is my name. Professional golfing enthusiast. Love it. And this is the journeyman episode. And I don't think it'll be the last one I'll do because I really enjoyed it. A little later on, how to hit a draw. It Tips, they come from the strangest places. And this one is a doozy. But from the tip giver, his golfing life has changed dramatically. Like literally, he's a new person. If you're enjoying the podcast, uh, I'd love it if you could subscribe and review and even give us a five-star rating because that helps other people find us and share the love. So this week, the journeyman uh, to the far west of Australia and Caramar Golf Club. Um, I clicked on the link to look at the photographs of the course before looking at the website. Lots of kangaroos. And there's one that I thought had like a Joey's foot sticking out of its back end. It wasn't, though. It was an enormous set of testicles, uh, which was quite funny, quite surprising. I thought, better put those away or someone will turn them into a wallet or a key ring. You might have seen those. Now, Caramar is near Joondalup. It's north of Perth. And the pro there is Glenn Paul, who I don't know, but now I feel that I do. And I'm really thankful for the time we had together. Um, it's an interesting story, his. It's one of self belief and trust. And he's got a lot to offer all of us about the game of golf and, you know, having a go, just trying and seeing what you can achieve. We started chatting about his introduction to the game i hope you enjoy it this is glenn paul and the podcast is golf
2: grew up in campbelltown or macquarie fields to, to be exact so yeah sydney boy and um play golf for, for your sydney listeners uh, at rae golf club uh, golf club which is now closed down there in um in moorbank uh, so yeah, sort of grew up playing, playing my golf there, started when I was about six or seven. Uh, and I think I kind of just fell into it. My next door neighbor at the time was the club secretary there and, uh, yeah, took me out for a game and, you know, fell in love with it and, and kind of just kind of kicked on from there. And yeah, we I think the turning point for me or the, the point where I really kind of thought that I wanted to play, uh, professionally, I was actually at the cannon challenge in 1996. So that would have been at, um, God, that was at Terry Castle Hills. Terry Hills? Uh, yeah, Terry Hills. I think Castle Hill was the year after. It might have been, Castle Hill might have been, not, uh, excuse me, 98 potentially. But I just remember you know, coming from this this you know, nine-hole, 18T you know, golf course in a, in a military barracks to going out to, to Terry Hills. And I remember walking through the front gates and this pristine manicure golf course guys out there playing for, yeah, I don't even think the prize money was that great for the Canon challenge back in the nineties. The but to me, you know, anything more than than 10 bucks seemed like a million. So, uh, yeah, these guys are playing for playing for great coin out on this fantastic golf course. And I was pinching myself. I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. So, um, that for me was, was, where I, I really kind of thought, you know, what? I really want to do this as a, as a career. I want to play golf and, and make money and travel the world. And, and really, from there, just sort of dedicated the the rest of my life to to doing that and, and pursuing that goal. So it's um yeah, it's it's been a, it's been an interesting journey from uh, from there, and and a few few so ups that, and and plenty of downs.
1: But okay, so that sounds like the life of a professional golfer. Tell tell me That's true. um the money, right? So because I mean, like you know, I write books, for instance, and everyone says never write books for money because. Your heart won't be in it, so you've got to you've got to write from your you know from here. And I'm guessing golf's kind of the same. But it was it was the prize money at the beginning, was it? That's the thing you went, holy cow, <laughs> oh my god.
2: Yeah, I think definitely the the prize money, but also just playing on this this really immaculate golf course and having people come out and and watch you and and want to get your autograph and want to talk to you. And it's not so much about being a a celebrity as such, but I think it was just. It was just a different um atmosphere and a different experience that I'd ever sort of been in and around. And it was uh it was something that I definitely found very attractive and and obviously yeah, the money's a, the money's a bonus as part of that. Yeah.
1: Okay. So um I'm talking to Glenn Paul, Caramar Golf Club north of Perth. Uh Glen, how old were you at that point? And when
2: did you decide to hit up America? Yes, yeah, so in ninety six, I would have been uh twelve back then. So Yeah, okay, um, right. Of course, yeah. great. Yeah, and uh, I, you said young at the at the start in the intro, which I'm quite flattered about because I feel about sixty something these days. But um, but yeah, I was twelve and um, yeah, just sort of finishing primary school, and it was it was a funny sort of time because in primary school I, I was literally the only kid that played golf, and um, you know golf was always the old person sport, and um, you know wearing wearing your cardigans and and the plus fours, and going into high school, I was almost a little apprehensive going into high school. Uh, being the only kid in primary school that played golf and uh, went to Holsworthy High School and got there and there was about five or six of us that played. So all of a sudden I felt, um, I guess a little bit more of a, a golf community around me and and a couple of those kids were were pretty solid golfers as well and uh, yeah, we kind of pushed each other through high school to, to achieve a little more and I think through that journey of high school still, you know, handicap was coming down but it was the goal of playing professionally, you know, all of a sudden became a little bit more realistic. Okay. So you found your tribe. Um, and
1: when did you find out you were actually a good golfer? Uh,
2: I'm still searching for that. No, 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 but you honest. know what I mean?
1: No, but like, like, <laughs> yeah. like there was some, there was some point something happened that, that turned you on. And I'm thinking like, you know, with the mind to the amateur golfer thinking, is there, is there a moment that's going to click for me? And what was yours?
2: Yeah, I, I think um and I was never a world beater as a as a junior and an amateur as well. So I didn't didn't represent state. I didn't go and win any big tournaments. But yeah, I just there was something inside of me I think that just kind of felt that yeah, I could have a crack and, and I think, yeah, my backup plan, um, which was sort of the first plan of attack was to to do a traineeship with the PGA and and at least get the qualification behind me. So I started that in two thousand and five. Um down at no, so where to start my time now a golf club a great little golf course down on the south coast there. Yeah, nice. and um started there came back up to sydney to to what was new brighton golf club and um yeah kind of got to 2007 had a few personal issues health issues and actually pulled out of the traineeship and it was sort of that point there that i was still playing okay golf as a trainee um again not setting the world alight but there was that that internal belief that I, I had what it took to, to go out and, and, you know, make a living from playing golf. And, um, it was, yeah, sort of middle of 2007 started 2008. I, I knew some people in America and, and I thought, you know, stuff it, I'm just going to pack my bags, um, yeah, take the credit card and, and go over and, and just give it a crack, play some mini tours, try and pre-queue for some tournaments and, and see what comes of it. So ha- what happened? How'd you go? Uh, not that great. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier that, yeah, I, I always look at my career as being somewhat mediocre and and never really lived up to my own expectations. And I think that's the same for, um, not just a lot of professional athletes and, and golfers, but just people in general that we, I guess we always have these expectations and, and ideas of, of where we want to go with our life. And, and when we don't quite achieve that, it's very easy to become bitter and twisted, which is probably why there's a lot of bitter and twisted golf pros out there in the world. But um, yeah, and I, and I joke around about being a Mars bar salesman, which my wife hates. But um, but you know, it's it's a bit of an internal joke as far as as golf pros go. But um, yeah, look, it, it wasn't. So you're, you're a Mars bar salesman now. Absolutely, absolutely, right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's selling it's, it's either folding sweaters um, or selling Mars bars, but both uh both are probably a little bit better at at making money at the the moment but um yeah look i I think for as far as america went I, i got over there us open qualifying was my first event so i'd only been in the country a week and was still trying to find my feet and uh went out there was nervous as all hell um traveled okay i was i was traveling okay through the front nine and then just absolutely gassed at the back nine and right um yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, as far as tournaments go and as, and nerves, I'm not somebody that gets super nervous, but man, that standing on that first tee box, uh, and I pre-cured at Duke university golf club, uh, I was so bloody scared and all that was running through my head was don't top it. And, uh, and we, so uh, like were, were, yeah, yeah. Look, and it's funny and I'm sure we'll get to it, but I, I, I like to try and normalize athletes, um, quite a lot. And, and I think, you know, Having worked with other athletes in in some of the other work that I do, it's very easy for the you know the the amateur golfer or the amateur sports person or your armchair critic to put um, yeah you know, professional athletes up on a pedestal and and I get why it happens but at the same time yeah you know, we're all just normal people and and we love to have a beer and we love to go out and and uh, you know just enjoy our lives as well but we just happen to be really really good at golf or really really good at football or or whatever else that might be so um yeah I, it's funny so i just i was yeah i was really really nervous but um it's so who it's who, else,
1: who else was there were there other golfers there that you knew that you'd seen on the telly that also trying to prequalify and you know and and this is the whole way through so and and this is for the open right
2: yeah, yeah, Yes. So this was, this was first stage or regional qualifying. So um, for those that don't know, with US Open qualifying, there's, there's a couple of stages. So you've got a regional or a sectional qualifier, and then you go through to a, a regional or a final qualifying then to get into to the tournament. So this was that sort of first stage. Um, I can't even remember how many people got through, but it's such a money grab for the USGA. Um, the amount of players they actually have go to these sectional qualifying,s and um, and the money that you pay to get in, it's it's an absolute goldmine. But so, so that's how the guys was- end up paying for seven odd mil. So. Yeah. So what what do you pay to get in? 2008's a long time ago. I struggle to remember. Yesterday, <laughs> let alone two thousand eight. Um, I think it was. I think it was around about. 60 or 70 bucks. It wasn't super expensive. Oh, okay. Expensive. So it's not too bad. Yeah, it's not super expensive but you have know, got like 10,000 people across the US trying to qualify uh, at this sectional stage. But um but yeah, it was uh, like so coming back to to yeah, you know, how I was thinking on the on the first tee? Yeah, like I I have those same same thoughts and those yeah, those demons in the back of my mind, like, like every golfer does. And, and on that day it was standing on the first, just thinking, don't, don't top it. Um, you know, some days it's standing over a shot going, don't shank it. Um, which can be sometimes a regular occurrence, but, um, but yeah, at, at the same time managed to nut one away down the middle and, and got off to a good start. And then same thing, hit a few bad shots and, and those negative thoughts get in your mind and, and it just sort of snowballs from there. And, and it's, it's not the not even the negative thoughts of thinking that you're a crap golfer. It's starting to think about your golf swing, which, you know, as, as everybody knows, as golfers, that's, the, that's probably the number one bad habit. We just start thinking to think technically and, and trying to fix our golf swing midway through a round after we've hit what, what we perceive as being a poor shot.
1: You, so you've gassed the back nine, you've left the course and gone, okay, so I'm not playing the US Open this year.
2: What happened then? Um, after a, after a rib burger from Hardy's on the, on the drive home, uh, a few too many of those over there as well. But, um, yeah, it was just sort of reassessing and, and starting to go, well, yeah, shit, have I just wasted all this money and and put everything on the line to, to come over and I've just yeah, shot an 80, I think it's shot like an 82 or an 83 or something. And, and yeah, I thought I was playing decent golf. So then to, to go out and, and shoot in the eighties, that first Real event um yeah it, it rattled me uh, but then I had so, a couple of weeks
1: so after one after one tournament you're all, sorry not even a tournament after one attempt to qualify, you're already going this is i've what am I doing really yep. yeah
2: yeah right. yeah absolutely and and it's crazy because i I had absolute hundred percent belief in my in myself and my abilities because I wouldn't have got on the plane and and gone over there and had a crack. Um, in the first place, if, if I didn't truly believe that, that I could you know, go out there and compete. Uh, but yeah, I, and I had a couple of weeks then to, to kind of just practice and settle in and, um, get ready for my first tournament. So I was playing on the Tar Heel tour through the Carolinas so North Carolina, um, South Carolina and up in through, um, Virginia as well. Um, so yeah, I had a couple of weeks to, to kind of prepare. Um, and I was based at Pinehurst, which yeah, for me pretty good is. Yeah, it, heaven. Um, I, I think they got nine golf courses there. At the time, there were eight. Uh, so pretty much had free reign of um, sort of six, seven, and eight. Two and um, two and four were a bit tougher to get on, obviously two being the, the flagship course. But um, yeah, essentially had kind of free reign of the, of the property. And um, yeah, for, as, a, as a player, it's great because you've got just such a, a varied number of courses and, and the layouts and the shots that you've got to hit. Yeah, you can kind of practice and hit every single shot that you that you need right. to really practice. But, and so,
1: and so, how um, much practice? How much practice did you do? Like, were you so you're on one of the best golfing complexes in the world, literally. So were you grinding it. You know, they say tigers. You know, nine hour, eight hour days, like full day. Were you doing that, or were you? You said something about yeah, burgers yeah. before, and sort yeah, of, burgers, you know, burgers a,
2: for me. Yeah, what were the, <laughs> yeah. what were the, what were the what were the traps? Ah, oh, the, the American food's just a massive trap. Uh, but you know, burgers for me. Are after after any bad round of golf, it could be even be a pro am over here. It's um, yeah. If I play poorly, it's it's straight through Hungry Jack's on the, yeah, right. on okay. the drive but, um, It's just that comfort food. But uh, but yeah, look, a normal day for me was was normally sort of up, do a bit of a workout, um, have some breakfast, and then I'd be at the course reasonably early uh, on the range for a fair chunk of that. Um, you know, I might do sort of two or three hours on the range, another couple of hours of short game, um, stop for lunch, um, and then go out and try and play nine holes. And that's something that I've carried over, not so much the, the grinding on the range, but the, the focus on short game and more so the focus on actually getting out and playing golf is something that I've really kind of carried over through the rest of my career and and definitely sort of into my coaching and, and what I try and encourage other golfers to do. As well, and and I think you know, if I could have my time again in America, and and, uh, yeah, we've got plenty more that we can talk about in the states. But I think if I could have my time again, just from an initial point of view, it would be to not think so much about my technique and and not spend so much time on the on the practice fairway, and just play more golf and and kind of trust trust in myself a little bit more. So um, yeah, and that's that's helped me a lot as I've matured as a player, but I think a level of that has come from that maturity as well. So
1: you're a believer in the feels of your game, as opposed to the, um, the technique of your game. And, and is that what uh, we should, yeah. should we be doing that as, you know, like if we're playing once a week or twice a week and we don't practice and we, you know, should we be on the fields
2: yeah, look, I, I think feels feels and technique are important. Um, or yeah, you know, technique is important to a degree. But at the same time, yeah, I say to my clients now that yeah, you know, we don't think about throwing a ball and we don't think about, you know, riding a bike and and a lot of the other things that we, we do subconsciously and, and realistically the golf swing kind of wants to work the same way in in that, you know, I think we we overcomplicate the technical aspect and we're always searching for this perfect swing and you know, we want to swing it on plane and at the moment, you know, shallowing out and all of, all of these other sort of, you know, pop terms that, that people use that are massive on Google and, and Instagram and whatnot at the moment. I think, you know, for me, there's, there's an element of, I guess, sort of the body and the brain knows how to move a golf club instinctively. Um, so the less we think about it, the more we can actually access our ability to swing it, um. But then in saying that, you know, we also need so if you've got aspirations to be a good player or you want to improve your the quality of strike or you want to learn how to hit draws and fades, then there's a time and place for the the technical aspect and the technical learning. But I think if most golfers just and this is not saying that, you know, don't go and see your PGA pro for a lesson because yeah, you know, we yeah, you know, obviously that's that's what we're there for and we we want to help golfers get better. But I think that, you know, there's there's a time and place for it. Yeah. And when, when you do go and, and get that golf lesson, um, working on the working on the right points for your game as opposed to just trying to swing it better is is the key See, to, to improvement.
1: Yeah. See, I wonder about that that saying that that, you know, like we don't think of I mean, I, I agree with you, we don't think about throwing a ball or riding a bike, but dead set there are people playing golf who it's not a nat- that this is not a natural game, right? So yeah. I mean, Dane, you've got to, We like, we all need help. It's a quest, I suppose it's a question of how much help we need. I want to go back to America. You said mm. there's other things happen there. So how long did you last? Um, uh, and, so, what
2: yeah. was your
1: tipping point?
2: Um, yeah, so I was over there for probably about four months, Um, which was about three, two or three months shorter than I was expecting to sort of stay. Um, so I got over there would have been in May, uh, May, so it'd been four months I was over there. So I got over there early May, um, came back August, um, was anticipating a stay sort of October, November. Um, the the tipping point for me was that I just ran out of money and, um, and, and I think, and again, you know, in, in hindsight, I would have factored in a few other expenses that I, that I had at home and, uh, and I didn't look at that, Yeah, you know, it was, it was the shiny lights of America and, and the PGA tour. And I was just like, yeah, perfect. Got, got a credit card. I've got a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, you know, uh, I'm just going to just stuff it like, Oh, I'll go and make some money. And, and yeah, it's yeah, so that, that Aussie, she'll be right attitude. And um, you know, I, I didn't factor in that. I still had a mobile phone in, in Australia that I need to pay for and a, and a personal loan that that needed to be paid for and and all of those sorts of things. And then after, yeah, after three months, um, yeah, you're starting to get the phone calls and it's like, shit, okay, well, yeah, I've got to still pay that.
1: All right. How close did you get to success?
2: Yeah. um, In the States, nowhere near it. Um, I I missed, yeah, I I think I played six, five or six events, um, missed every cut. um, And look, the the competition was was pretty solid on the Tar Heel Tour at the time, so we had... Uh, who was playing the, those years? The the one that stands out is um, like Tommy Tommy Two Gloves. He he was playing. There are there a lot of good players that were either on PGA Tour or on um, yeah Nationwide or Web dot com or whatever it was at, at the time. Um, that yeah, if they if they missed a cut, they would come down and, and play our events. Or right. um, if they if they missed a Monday, then they would come down and, and play our events. So the the fields were the fields were strong and. Um, yeah, and again, yeah, I thought my golf was was pretty good, but it was just not quite where it needed to be.
1: Okay, so how much better were those guys, the, those guys dropping down. So imagine on a sliding scale, if the guys were dropping down from the web dot com were coming to the tar heel and blitzing down there, did you see any guys from the tour, from the tour tour? Like what level of good are they compared to the other to where you oh, were to where you were at the time?
2: Yeah, look next next level, and I think you know, for the difference, the biggest difference I see from the the top level to corn you know, Ferry players down to you know, your mini tour players or just any other professional golfer, it. And again, there's this element of not so much technique, but their execution of shots and their ability to execute on command. Um, which i guess sort of ties in a little bit into the mental side of it as well and you know, you've got to you've got to be able to trust yourself so, you know if you're standing up there and trying to hit you know a little slingy draw with trouble down the left it's such a stupid shot to play at the best of times but so, you know these guys know that they can do it and they can stand up and execute it as well where you go down a couple of tiers and yeah, me trying to hit a draw at the best of times is hard enough, but, uh, but you know, it's, you stand up there and you aim right and you'll you know, try and turn it over and it either becomes a, a snap hook into the water or you you hit a big calf cut and either way you're in, you're in trouble, but it's, yeah, it's definitely the, the belief, the belief in their ability, their ability to actually execute on command. Um, and then just, just course management and strategy. Um, I, I think between a, yeah, a a player here in Australia on on the yeah, Aussie Aussie tour and and the PGA Tour player, ability-wise, there's not a huge gap. Yeah, At the end of the day, we can all hit a pretty solid golf ball mm. with some reasonable level of consistency, which is a term I hate using with uh, with my clients. But yeah, there's a, a level of consistency there. But the guys that are playing week in and week out, and you see it here in Australia too, that the guys that are playing and traveling around Australia, playing pro-ams and playing our tour events week in, week out, always play considerably better than say like us here in WA that have a pro-am swing of six or eight weeks. And that's pretty much it for us.
1: And yours is coming up now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, we're about uh, about a month away, so finally dusting the golf clubs off and, and trying to dedicate a little bit more time to, to some practice. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. But it's, it's a little bit harder for me these days. I've got no status anymore. Uh, I lost the last little piece of Pro-Am um, order of merit status divisionally so for here in WA uh, about two years ago. So now it's just enter, hope I get a start, and yeah, try and play well and play enough events to to get that order of merit category back again
1: okay so what's the lesson i know, I know you do speaking and um and corporate work as well so just to sort of to get us to the end w- w- what is the lesson to learn from you know your like really interesting ride into i mean have you lost your self-belief have you and and, come, and, and, and how do you yeah and how do you come back yeah. from because obviously I mean I I think it's amazing that you would go over there going I'm just going to get on the tour then get your head punched in and then go oh, shit <laughs> you know and I like it's really interesting it's this it's a young man going I've I've got this to a young man sort of going Jesus
2: yeah yeah so what, what I, look, well see I was twenty I was twenty. Four at the time i think 23 or 24 when i went to went to the us so um and it was my first time in the in the states as well so i think that you yeah, know being young and uh, yeah as much as i was there for the golf you you discover the you know, the american people and and That lifestyle of not so much college lifestyle, but you know, the you go out and you socialize and you have a few drinks, and and no different to what we what we do here in Australia. But it's just you're in another country, so it it almost amplifies itself a little bit. And not that I was going out partying every night, but um, you know, I I kind of I guess I lost focus a little bit, and and there was that there was the initially that isolation of right. You're here to play golf and that's all you're doing. Like you're just going to work your ass off and and play and practice and grind and, and make it to the tour and yeah. Live the high life essentially. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, the, the lesson in it all, uh, you want to have self-belief at at the end of the day, you want to have self-belief and that's going to come and go regardless and and i think performance not just as as a golfer or as an athlete but just in everyday life you know you, you're never going to be at your peak day in day out or even every hour through the day for that matter it's so there's still got to be that level of self belief but having having a process to be able to find that belief when you don't have it and and almost having that little a trigger so i guess for me when I lose the self-belief, I actually stop practicing uh, and I'll take a few days away from golf because I start to get into this yeah, technical mindset around my swing and I try and search for something that I don't need to search for. So I'll just step away and, and go, you know what? I'm not going to practice. It might be for a day. It might be for a week. Um, any longer than a week, I start to get the itch again. So uh, And then I'll just go back to basics on the on the range and just hit a few shots try and hit some shot shapes and play some silly shots Do do exactly what we used to do as, as kids. So it's, you know, trying to hit a 80 yard slingy hook across the driving range and and try and hit a little flop shot that goes about 10 feet and play some chip shots from sandboxes and, and just all the, all the stupid shots that, yeah. And almost try and find that, that enjoyment and find that fun. And uh, I actually caught up with a, with a good friend of mine, a few weeks ago and I was in a bit of a low uh, around my golf and just with, with everything that's been going on. And, and he said to me, you know, like he just said, why come back to finding why I do it for me um, and, and not worry so much about trying to do things for everybody else Mm. and make sure that what I'm doing and why I'm doing it is, is for myself, which sounds really selfish, but I think at the same time, we're so used to putting everybody else before us, whether it's for, you know, work or sport or a career we just everything yeah you, know, you almost do it for everybody else and that's the yeah you know, to to make people like you or you know make people want to follow your career or you know that you want to do it for the money to be able to give the family the lifestyle that you think that they deserve and yet at the same time like oh yeah cool like money's great and you know signing autographs is great it might still not be why you actually want to do it
1: what do you do with the young kids uh, coming through your club? I mean, like you have these really good kids who are 12, 13 and then, you know, distraction, which is great. That's what you're talking about is, you yeah. know, like because distraction's great. It's just a matter of, do you, do you try and keep them on the, um, on the course? Or do you let them go and find their way back?
2: Yeah. Look, I, I let them go. I, I like to try and just, I'll I'll let them know that I'm there to support them. And, uh, and, you know, and I've, I've got their back at the end of the day, like I, and I've got got four young kids at the moment Uh, when I say young, they're sort of 16 to 18 that I'm working with on their games. But I almost look at my role with them as being a, a life coach, not just a golf coach. And so if they've got something going on and they need someone to talk to, they can bounce that off me. And, um, if they want to go out and and drink and they want to go out and party and and do all that stuff when they're away for a tournament great but you've also got to understand that there's consequences to that not so much through through me as as your golf coach but to people around you whether that's mum and dad are going to get the shits that you've you've gone out and got smashed but you're away for a tournament um you know the, the other people around you some of these kids have got their club supporting them or yeah, the state association supporting them as well. So I think, you know, you want to keep them, you want to keep them close, but also let them have their own space and and let them find themselves as well. And um, as I said, I think a lot of parents, especially with really good golfers, it's just, this is how it is. You know, you're going to go, you're going to go and practice, you're going to go to golf, you're going to come home and do your schoolwork. And, and they just, they just don't get to have a, have a life and eventually there's going to be that tipping point and whether it's when they turn 18 and they can go out and start drinking or they turn 21 or, you know, in my case, 24 and go to America and, and you know, you kind of get that you're away from it. They don't, yeah, you know, yeah, they can't yeah. protect you anymore. So it's, um, but it's hard now, like, you know, for kids these days on social media, like you can't, I'm well, not even kids, but for all of us, you can't really put a foot out of line because it, you know, what, goes on well it's yeah you know, we used to say what goes on tour stays on tour but it's now it's yeah you know, what goes on tour goes on social media so there's i think teaching them to be to have that self awareness to at least go you know like you're your own person go and have fun but stay committed mm. but also know that you know there's a camera's always watching there's you know recorders always recording stop you it just stop it just don't yeah don't be too silly just be a good human being yeah, yeah, just like don't do something that your grandmother wouldn't be proud of. Oh, okay. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um
1: <laughs> so and for you now, like where do you um uh, you've got your your coaching and your pro-am circuit coming up, so hopefully you start there and
2: Yeah, so now for me it's it's mainly just coaching. Um I still have that passion and that desire to play and yeah, I, I guess I hold out hope that maybe one day I'll know, yeah, I'll have that one good tournament because that's really all it takes in golf is that that one good week and it sets yourself up. So, so the um, devil
1: the devil comes to visit you and he says, "Hey, listen, Glenn, I tell you what, I w- I'm going to give you the I want you to put, you're going to have one good tournament. I'm going to give you one right. That's it. You're
2: going to what would it be? Oh, then to the joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's, it, it is the opposite to the golfing gods because the golfing gods are never really on our side, are they? But um, I, look, I think in Australia, Aussie Open, I think yeah, having your own national championship is, is pretty big. Um, I always look at the Aussie Open as just that one tournament I've never really been able to get over the hurdle and, and qualify for. I always, always gassed it. In Aussie Open qualifying, so um, when the
1: so when you're coming down the last, you got two shots. You got, two, you got coming down the last, you got a two-shot lead. What are the commentators saying about you? So you know they do that Dicky thing of uh, go, you know, Glenn Paul, He's uh, a kid from you know Fairlight Gardens. In what <laughs> are they what are they saying about you? How are they going to wrap you uh, up?
2: Sorry, Macquarie look. Fields. Yeah, two, five, six, four. Um, oh look, I, I think yeah, it'd be it'd be that journeyman, the the guy that's just been grinding his whole life, looking and waiting for that taste of success. Um, and hopefully I don't three putt the last <laughs> to lose by to lose by one. Um uh, yeah, we'll we'll roll one in and, and win by a shot be nice. But uh but yeah, definitely I think just that, yeah, the the journeyman that's just been never kind of lost lost sight of the journey. Um, yeah, had it's been a wild ride getting there, but never really lost sight of what it is that, that I've wanted to achieve. Okay. Well, all
1: the best, Glenn. Thanks
2: very much for your time. And Edward, uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, no ready. worries. Thank you, mate. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: And there, you can hear the dulcet tones of the ocean breaking onto the shore because I'm uh, my other passion is ocean swimming, uh, and I'm an aquarian and I like raging. So, if I was auditioning for Perfect Match, that's what I would have said. I, I like golf, ocean swimming, and raging that would have been my thing, anyway. Look, one of the guys I swim with rang me yesterday and said, with great excitement, that he's cured his slice. Not only that. He can hit a draw. He's a lifetime slicer, but apparently no longer. His name's David. Uh, Dave, what... So just what happened? Like, just... Because you're our lesson today. Even though, as an amateur golfer, playing off...
3: Playing off 18.
1: Yeah.
3: I've I've had a slice forever. Yeah. And he gets sick of it. You play the right side of the fairway the whole time. All your mates are in the middle or on the left. They go further. So I searched the internet for tips.
1: Right. So do you go on, uh, just Google how to hit a draw
3: or...? I Googled how to get rid of your slice and hit a draw. (laughs) And the tip was, it's very, very simple. Like, if you think about it, you stand there, shoulders square, you aim down the middle of the fairway and you hit the ball. No matter how well you hit it, it goes to the right. But, but...
1: The tip was... Hang on, hang on. So, so that's, what that's your theory is, regardless of where you stand or how you stand, it's always going right.
3: It is always going right, and you always stand the same way, where your feet and your shoulders all line up for where you want it to go. You hit it, and it fades and slices. But the tip was, if you pretend you've got an arrow at following your toes and the ball in your club straight down the fairway... That's your normal line of hitting it. But if you swing the club, so it goes at like 25 degrees from the ball out to the right, it stops you swinging inside out, I think it's called. That means you come around the ball a little bit. And for the first time ever, a bucket of balls at the driving range, they're all going straight or drawing. It's it's easier to show with a little diagram but pretend there's a line through your toes and the ball it's
1: little red line goes to where you want to go so but go in the so you, in you the pick the target pick the target in that right which is straight down the middle of the fairway
3: yeah straight down the middle of the fairway where you never ever go but
1: when you do you think you've got an attitudinal issue with with the with the way you play like just by using fra- so people would argue that by saying where you never ever go that you're actually you're actually killing yourself anyway? Absolutely.
3: When I stand in front of the water, I'm not going in the water, I'm not going in the water, <laughs> boop, straight in the water. Right. If I stand on the fairway, I'm going straight down the middle, straight down the middle, I'm in the trees on the right. right. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so, so you've got a little red
3: line. Little red line, and then you do this dotted line across the top at like 25 degrees over the, from the ball, and it makes you swing around the club, your hips get engaged, and the ball goes to the left. It's amazing.
1: Amazing. So 25 degrees from from your feet out. If you've got a line, your little red line,
3: toes, ball straight down the middle of the fairway, that's where you want to go. Hit 25 degrees. You swing your club 25 degrees to the right. Right, so oh, out. Right. So you, you're going for an in to out swing. If that's what the pros call oh, no, it? No, that's no, no, that's well, I don't know what, I mean. what you call it.
1: So it's... Uh,
3: Fucking unreal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, The non-technical jargon there, it makes you swing around the ball instead of through the ball. So if you're a tennis player, it's a bit like a topspin shot where you come around the ball and it works.
1: Great. So you're excited, clearly. Have you taken it to the course yet? Absolutely. Oh, and what happened? Down
3: the left all day. Never been there in my
1: life. Right. And and with
3: your irons as well? Uh, Yes. It's yeah, not just the wood, it's... Yeah, yeah, no. Well, it was mainly my driver I was practising with. Uh, irons didn't have so much an issue with my slice, but yes, they were going a little bit right to left,
1: Well, they, unusual. Well, I'm thrilled that you've been able to give our coaching segment today <laughs> as an 18 handicapper. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that makes sense. It makes sense for you,
3: doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I'm, and I'm back, I'm back. Watch out, mate. I'm going <laughs> to drive you, out-drive you next time we see each other. You'll be in my wake. <laughs> Oh, because now we're swimming
1: again. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Dave.